Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. A long ways to go and a short time to get there. Uh, right at the end of the year, two weeks before Christmas, I ended. I thought I ended a series called House. And... Uh, preach my guts out for all those weeks, six weeks. I don't like to stay in a series more than three or four weeks because most of y'all have ADD, your attention span, and it just doesn't last that long, right? And you're ready to move on. However, uh, as we begin to come to the close of that, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, no, we're not done yet, we're not done yet, and I kind of fought him because I knew that it was going to be about three weeks before we could get back to it. But I just really feel impressed that we need to stay there. And so uh, for for those of you that... Uh, think that gospel music is gone no i'm sorry that just went over y'all see y'all y'all figuring out how my mind works i got a weird mind i just went off on something y'all don't even know what i'm talking about if you don't know who kirk franklin is those of you that for <laughs> those of you I, i'm i must be adt add too anyway uh anyway those of you that haven't been with us i'm weird i, I know i understand just love me for who i am i uh, see i got one witness all right those of you that have not been with us can i catch you up quickly i I want to try to go back very quickly. I, I struggle to do it quickly, but I want to do it quickly and preach six weeks in about three minutes, maybe longer. And let me catch you up. I started off this series by saying this, that God is not obligated to live in something he does not build. Churches all over America start, and then they ask God to bless them. I don't want to do that. I want us to build according to his plans and his blueprints because that guarantees that he will move in. I got nobody wanting God to move in. I said it will guarantee that God moves in. And so we begin to lay out the blueprints. How do we construct this place, this house, if you will, so that God will build it, will move in? We said, first of all, that God operates on house rules. And you will remember I said that God's house rules are these, authority. God always operates in authority. And he's placed a three authority figures in our lives. The number one authority figure in our life is? The word. Everything we do has to line up with the word or we don't do it. And so we respond by bowing our knee and saying, God, whatever you say in your word, that is your authority figure in our life. But secondarily, there was a second authority figure, and it is our conscience, right? The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, and our conscience cannot override the word. The conscience responds to the word. And when our conscience begins to dictate to us how we live our life and it lines up with the word, then he is, it is an authority figure in our life and it's the Holy Spirit working through our innate conscience to tell us you cannot do this and it lines up with the word. The third authority figure in our life is the one that we don't like. Do you remember what it was? Delegated authority. Nobody can tell me what to do, really. All of us are told by somebody what to do. Something is dictating your life and mandating to you how you live your life. If you don't believe that, go get in your car and drive 180 miles an hour down this Northwest Expressway and see if there's not somebody that can tell you what you can do and what you cannot do. The caveat to that is that those, of, those authority figures, delegated authority figures in our life must line up with the word and so if the preacher or the sunday school teacher or the mentor or the coach in your life says do something and it violates the word of god you ignore them however if they are telling you to do things that are in god's word you better listen that was week one it took longer than i thought it would week two manners i am committed to this y'all we are going to operate by house manners 
we don't treat each other the way the world treats people. We are called to a higher standard than that. And so we said that here's our house manners. Number one, we're going to regard one another. I don't see you even if I don't like you. Even if your idiosyncrasies bother me, I don't see you after the flesh anymore. I see you after a spirit person, and I see Jesus in you. So I don't regard you the same anymore. Second, I respect you. I honor you. I prefer you over myself. So there's no jockeying for position or hurting one another. We respect each other. Third, we resolve our conflicts. We Get it straight. If, if you've hurt my feelings, I hurt your feelings, or you've done me wrong, or I've done you wrong, we don't call the prayer chain and air our dirty laundry. We operate by house manners. We don't deal with it through text messages, and we don't deal with it through emails. We get face-to-face, and we talk to one another in accordance to the last house manner, which is restoration we offer grace because we all need grace i'm telling you right now we are operating by house manners we're going to i I promise you we're doing it then i told you that god wants to build a model house that god won't move into an empty house and if we want him to live in this house that we have to furnish the house and you'll remember i told you that the little lady built the prophet's chamber and she put a bed there a place of rest we got to rest in jesus again she put a she put a desk or a, a chair there, a place of support, total trust. We got to come back to this place where I trust God with my life. She put a table there, a place of communion, where we get to know Him. And she put a lamp there, which says that we have to bathe ourselves daily in the illumination of God's Word. Let me tell you, there is power in the preaching of God's Word. I don't underestimate the fact that when somebody grabs a microphone or stands up and begins to declare the word of the Lord, there is power there. But there is equal power and necessary power to be found in daily bathing yourself in God's word. I'm asking you to take a four-minute bath in God's word every day. And so there's this model house. And then finally, right as we were ending, I preached to you about the parade of homes. And I told you that the uh, a parade of homes doesn't give us a, a real clear glimpse of how somebody lives. In a parade of homes, you dress your house up and you give people a glimpse about what your house looks like when it's pretty. But your house is not always pretty. And I told you that most of us are on this parade of homes. We're hopping from house to house, and we just get the best glimpses, and we don't know what it's really like. And I told you that that has to stop because I believe this. We are assigned to a house. And I pointed you to Noah's Ark and told you that it stunk in there. Think about that. You got all those animals running around in there. It wasn't a pretty smell, but it floated. It was safe, and it was secure. And you won't like everything you smell in here. If you could smell my boots right now, you wouldn't like what it smells like in here because my boots stink. They're stinking me out of here. Smell like tires. I don't know what's wrong with them. But anyway, uh, you won't always like what you smell in here, but it's safe in here. And that brings us up to speed. Now, God help me because this is a tough message. What we've done is we've watched over the course of this last year or 18 months, while a recession has swept our country, 
we've been impacted by that, and we've watched the news reports of cities and even states that have actually crashed economically. We're feeling the results of that. Something interesting about that to me is that after so long of being historically sound and secure, one of the areas that the crash seemed to impact more and has individual implications even for us, even though our state wasn't uh, struck as difficultly and severely as other states, we recognized that one of the areas that was impacted most was the housing market. In fact, I went on and I found out that in June, the Center for Responsible Lending estimated that by June of 2009, there had already been a million foreclosures in our nation. Think about that a moment, a million. And then they estimated that uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association, their data shows that by June of 2009, 12% of all mortgages were delinquent. They couldn't pay their house bill. And they estimated that by the end of 2009, I don't know what the actual stats ended up being, but they estimated by the end of December of 2009 that the foreclosure number would actually double. The housing market had problems. I came to tell you this morning that I am convinced that there was a housing market problem long before 2009. I think it's been about two decades old and we just slept through it. Oh, where are you going, Steve? Just hang on, I'm going to get there. There has been a housing market crash all around us, in particular in the Bible Belt, right here in Oklahoma City, where there are more houses of God than you can shake a stick at. There is a housing market crash going on. Well, what do you see? I am saying that if we don't wake up and recognize what is happening to God's house, we are going to have a crash in our lives that we cannot recover from. And so, what I want to do is I want to take you to a housing market report. What are you talking about, Steve? Just hang on. I want to read to you a housing market report out of the Old Testament that when I read it, I suddenly recognized in, in my own life and in those, the lives of those around me that what I was doing was I was actually reading an up-to-date, current, play-by-play, blow-by-blow housing market report for 2010. In fact, when I began to read it, I, I called Woody, and I said, bro, when's the last time you read this? And he said, it's been a while. I said, you need to go find yourself a Bible right now and sit down somewhere and, and read this and share my pain because I was about to weep in my living room when I read this. Can I read you the housing market report and see if it doesn't speak to your life and to the life of the community around us? It's found in... Haggai chapter 1. Listen to what is being said here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Here it is. Here's the, here's the market report. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but you are not satisfied. You drink but you are still 
thirsty. You put on clothes, but they cannot keep you warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and the grapes and the olive trees and all of your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Haggai begins his message by quoting what was a popular expression of the day people were walking around saying it's not time to build the temple of God although they were surrounded by hostile opposition and enemies at every turn and although they were enduring lack of economic prosperity they kept doing what they had always done just in the name of keeping up with the Joneses and God says that while you're living in luxurious homes, my house is falling apart. And because of that, there's this crash. They were, see if this doesn't sound like us, they were living from paycheck to paycheck. What it says, they couldn't make ends meet. It says that they had become comfortable in famine and that they were drowning in drought. There was this, this lack of, of feasting on any that they were barren and they called that normal oh y'all ain't hearing me they called that normal how many people around us do we see that have come to this place in their life where a famine has taken hold of their life and their their a drought is overtaking their life and they're living in barrenness and in dryness and they call that normal christian existence I got news for you this morning. Can I rattle you a little bit? That's not normal. That's the way they lived. To me, that is a perfect illustration, a perfect picture of where we live. Because I came to tell you this morning, we too are surrounded by opposition on every hand. And we too are overcome with lack of economic prosperity. We are flooded with drought. And we are feasting on famine. And we call everything blessed. We're not where we need to be. And we'd better wake up and recognize that we are in this condition. Why are we in this condition? Because of our lack of attention and regard for the house of God. See, Haggai paints a vivid picture. And he says, you are where you are as a result of one single fact. You left God out. Y'all ain't shouting me down, but that's all right. Because I wonder how many of us leave God out now. And so what happens is that even in that condition, you go back and read it for yourself. Even in that condition, God will bless you with stuff. You just won't be able to enjoy it. 
you'll have a degree, you won't be able to get a job. You'll get a raise, but you won't be able to make ends meet. You'll have a nice house, but you won't be able to eat. You'll get that kid you prayed for and longed for, and he'll wear you out. If God is not in our priority list, number one. If we don't regard his house. See, there are two things this morning that are directly proportional to the place of priority that we give to God's house. There are two elements in our life that we have direct correlation. Where we place God in priority in our life determines these two things. Hear me this morning. The first is it determines your harvest. Because Haggai says you plant much but harvest little. Came to tell somebody this morning, you've been planting, 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 but you don't have God as number one in your life, and so you discover that your harvest is directly linked and you're not given the, getting the harvest that you desired. But the second element of that that we never talk about and we never think about is this not only is our harvest connected to that, our level of satisfaction in life is connected to that. If you will. The ability to sleep soundly, the ability to find a stress-free life, the, the ability to live in a turmoil-filled society and still have peace is directly related to how you position God in the priorities of your life. I'm preaching real good right now. Y'all are really quiet. But I'm telling you this morning, if God is not the priority of your life, it doesn't matter what kind of car you have in your driveway, and it doesn't matter how big your own house is, and it doesn't matter how nice your clothes are. If God is not number one in your life, you will not be satisfied. Is it right for us to live in luxurious homes when the temple lies in ruins? That's what, that's what God asks. Haggai points to a housing market crash, and it devastated the people. In other words, he begins to lay out what happens, and what happens is, is that God quits working with and quits working for the people and begins to work against them. I just came to tell somebody in the room, I got some bad news for you. God's working against you. Think about that a moment. If God isn't number one in your life, then God is actually in the business of working against you. That means that it doesn't matter how bad your boss wants to favor you, God is working against you. Doesn't matter how hard you work. Man, I work harder than anybody I know. I work extra hours. I'm diligent. I'm faithful. I pray. I cry out to God. I ask Him for blessings in my life. But if God isn't number one in your life, then God is actually working against you. And I got news for you. If God is working against you, you're doomed. Because we quote this, if God is for us, who can be against us? But there's a flip side. If God is against us, who can be for us? You don't know who I know. Yeah, dude, it doesn't matter. If you don't know God, and if he's not number one in your life, you can know every, you can flip that Rolodex out and give me every governor's name and president's name and king's name, and it won't amount to a hill of beans because if God is working against you, you are doomed. If we don't have God as the priority of our life. I keep hearing, 
the housing market report around us. The same, of, same as Haggai's. The people are saying the same thing. They were saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That's what I hear on a daily basis around us. I hear, see, I think we've bought a lie. I, I keep being told this. We just got to accept the fact that you can't build the house of the Lord in this generation. You don't understand, Steve. You can't have a powerful church in this generation because people are too busy. They cry out and they say, you can't have a powerful move of God in this generation because people are too lazy and they're too apathetic and they're too self-centered and they don't really desire a genuine move of God and you can't build God's house in this generation. Then they go on and they say, if you're going to have church, you've got to make it convenient. You've got to make it 50 minutes long. You can't have a genuine encounter with God. Just do it and get out and let us. Don't take any more nights. Don't take any more of my time. You can't build God. God's house in this generation and I came to tell you that the devil is a liar because I believe that in this generation we've got a group of people a remnant if you will that are willing to stand up and say I want to see God and that's what happens in Haggai's life and in his experience because in Haggai chapter 1 verse 12 listen to what it says then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Z man I wish they wouldn't put these names in there or make them easy the son of Bob the high priest and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God and when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai whom the Lord their God sent the people feared the Lord then Haggai the Lord's messengers gave the people this message from the Lord listen I am with you, says the Lord. You know what God is saying? When you begin to build my house back, when you listen to what I'm declaring to you, I will move back in. That's his promise. And then it goes on and it says, so the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. And they begin to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm here. I came this morning to call some Zerubbabel's and some Jeshua's and ask you to begin to ask God to spark your enthusiasm for the things of God again. I was reminded of a passage of Scripture that I want us to pray together that the zeal for God's house will begin to consume us again where the things of God will become the priority of our life again I was reminded this morning I used to work at Hardee's I was on the fast track to success working at Hardee's that's the fast track right there if you didn't know I'm playing I worked at Hardee's for two years I remember vividly I always had Sundays off. I asked for Sundays off, and we would drive 18 miles to my home church, and I was there. I would stay all day. We'd have church in the morning. I'd stay all afternoon, play basketball, and then go to choir practice at 6 and stay for evening service. And I vividly remember one Sunday afternoon in particular. I was a junior in high school, I think. I'm minding my own business. We're getting ready to start choir practice, and my pastor comes out of his office and comes against me and says, Steve, you've got a phone call. I walk to the office, and it's my manager at Hardy's. And she makes this statement to, you, to me. We're shorthanded, and I need you to come to the store right now, or I will fire you. 
And I said into the phone, fire me then. Because I am at church and the things of God are more important in my life than flipping hamburgers. And what I am calling for some folks to do is make a declaration this morning and get your priorities right and come to the place where you will look around you and you will declare that God is more important to me than my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my job or my sports car or my vacation or my popularity or my acceptance that the zeal, the enthusiasm for the things of God has come back into my life and I'm more concerned about God than I am anything else. We got to have some folks like that. I'm calling some of you to get so excited about the house of God again that you will go out there and find people that are hungry and thirsty for the things of God and you will grab them and snatch them and bring them in here and show them that God is in the house and that God does exist and that he wants a relationship with them. Does the zeal for the house of God consume you or is church the last thing you think about? Will you stop coming to church for anything? Will a homework will homework keep you out of the house of God? Will a date keep you out of the house of God? Will a raise keep you out of the house of God? Will a vacation keep you out of the house of God? Will anything keep Come on folks, we've got to allow God to spark the enthusiasm for the house of God again in our lives. Why? Well, number 1 cuz he's God. That ought to be enough reason. But there are more reasons. Can I give them to you real quick and then I'll be done? He tells us the reasons. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, he says this. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and, all, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Can I tell you why we need to get our priorities right? Because if we would ever get our priorities right and make God number one again in our life, can I tell you what happened? Uh, will happen according to what Haggai says, our lives will be full of the glory of God. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I just want to tell you, I want my life filled from front to back top to bottom with the glory of God so that when I walk out of this place and I work, walk into my school and I walk into my job and I walk into my neighborhoods that the glory of God just emanates out of me. That's what I want. How do we get there? We make him number one. But he also goes on and he says, if you get your priorities right, not only will I bring glory into your house, I will bring provision into your house. Go back and you read it. He says, I own all the gold and all the silver. And in the moment that we rely on him and trust on in, in him and make him number one in our life, provision begins to flow. Then he comes on behind that and he says, not only am I going to give you glory and not only am I going to let you experience provision, but also I will bring peace into your life. And I came to tell somebody in here that right in the midst of chaos and right in the midst of turmoil and right in the middle of uncertainty God can bring peace into our lives when we make his house the number one priority of our life and then he goes on 
Oh, I love this part. It's my favorite part. Haggai chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Think about this 18th day of December. The day, listen, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. While the seed is still in the barn, you have not harvested your grain, your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, and your olive trees have not produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. Then he goes on and he says this. On that same day, December 18, the Lord sent his second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. And I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and their riders. And the horses will fall. And the riders will kill each other. I am telling you this morning that according to the promise of God, on the day that we secure the foundation of God's house in our life, we make his house number one in our life. Can I tell you what happens? Before you ever plant, you have a guaranteed harvest. Think about that. He says, on the day that you secure the foundation of my house, at that moment, a harvest enters your life before you ever plant the first seed, before you ever take a plow and begin the hard work of preparing the ground, before you ever go out there with the sickle on that day. Provision had already been made. Guaranteed. Anybody want a guaranteed blessing? I want a guaranteed blessing. But then he goes on in secondarily and he says this. On the day that you secured the foundation of my house, I, over, I overthrew through all the enemies and the kingdoms that were oppressing you. In other words, on the day that you reprioritize your life and say, I'm going to make God number one, before any chain ever broke off of your life, before any link was broken, before one throw, one punch was ever thrown, you just found yourself suddenly living in a life that is made up of a fixed fight because your victory has already been won. Think about that a moment. Some of you have been fighting things for years. And if you would just reprioritize your life and make God number one again, your harvest would be guaranteed and your victory would be set into motion before you ever see the first chain fall off. So I have some questions for you this morning. Here they are. Are you killing yourself trying to live blessed? Because, see, we've been taught to fake it till we make it. Some of you are trying to look blessed even though you know you're not. Because God's working against you. Are you seeking provision? Are you trying to secure your life? Are you fighting battles that it seems like you can't win them? Are you working without God? See, we think Matthew chapter 26, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 is to non-believers. But this morning I think it speaks to us as those that call Jesus our king. When it says this, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Think a moment. What is the boat really worth? What is the promotion really worth? What is the relationship really worth? worth 
What is their approval really worth? If it costs you your soul because your priorities have shifted and you've made something else God, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? We've got to hear the housing report and respond. Either we change our priorities or our house will be destroyed. I'm calling you this morning to repent. I can tell you this morning that in the living room of my own house earlier this week, I had to repent. And I had to say to God, I'm working myself crazy, but I'm not sure you're number one. Come on, think. calling you to come back to the place where you recognize that you pay more attention to your own house than you do the house of God. Because when we do that, we find ourselves barren and our lives meaningless and unblessed. See, I think that we have either forgotten or we really don't believe Matthew chapter 633 anymore. Oh, I know you know I know you can quote it, but I'm calling you to hear it again, and not only hear it again, but to believe it again. Listen carefully. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, you got to get the order right, and all these things will be added to you. I'm calling you this morning to allow the Holy Spirit to spark your enthusiasm again for the house of God. Well, it's not the right time to rebuild his house. You can't, no. If not now, when? And if not here, where? And if not us, who? Are there any Zerubbabels and Jeshuas in the house that are ready to stand up and say, hmm, I'm making God the priority of my life. If I have to cut relationships off, I will. If I have to quit a job, I will. If I have to give something up, I will. He is number one in my life because his glory is worth it. His provision is worth it, and his peace is worth any sacrifice that I have to make. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to do exactly what I did this morning. I feel led that I need to do this. I was going to change it, but I'm going to do it exactly the way I did it this morning. I'm going to turn my back on you because I'm not praying to you or for you. Let me just deal with me while you deal with you. Deal? Oh, God, I repent this morning. My heart is broken because I've read the housing report and the housing report says that 
my house looks great, but your house doesn't look so good. And I examine the brokenness of my own life and the bareness of my own life, and I recognize this morning that my harvest and my satisfaction are directly related to where you stand in priority in my life. And so this morning, I repent. Spark the enthusiasm for the things of God and the kingdom of God in my life again. Let the zeal for your house consume me once again. Let it be the first thing I think about when I get out of the bed and the last thing I think about when I go to bed at night. Let me be consumed by you. Don't let me make excuses that I'm too busy. Don't let my laziness get in the way. Don't let anything distract me. I want to experience the glory of the latter house in my life. And so I repent. Let me reprioritize my life right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray over my people this morning. I pray that in the name of Jesus, their priorities, they would check their priorities right now. They would examine their own house. And they would examine the condition of their house compared to the condition of your house in their life. And Father, I pray that right now, if they have been paying more attention to the things of their life and they have reprioritized and you've dropped down their list of priorities, then Father, right now, I pray that you would spark the enthusiasm once again in their life for your house and that you would elevate once again and become number one in their they would adjust whatever they have to adjust and they would change whatever they have to change and they would break off anything that they have to break off and they would get rid of anything that they have to get rid of to make sure that nothing, nothing, no one stands between me and you. You're number one in my life. I will seek your kingdom first. And I'll trust you with the rest. Father, I pray you bless my people this week. And if you're working against any one of them, I pray that they would wake up this week and realize it and they would make the changes necessary. Father, I believe there are great days coming as we position you properly. You are number one. And so we are expecting a guaranteed harvest and guaranteed victory. And so we rejoice in that this morning. I pray that my folks would go home and chew on this word all week long. I pray that if the priorities are wrong, you would wake them up in the middle of the night and disturb their sleep until they get the priorities right. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you're visiting with us for the first time, please get your cookies. If you're here second, see me for pizza if you accepted Christ as your Savior. Most important, if you accepted Christ, you made a move towards God this morning. See Tina, she's got a card for you. Bring your movers card back next week. We're going to begin to pray over them. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 